Welcome to WeAreTechnology.com's User-Friendly 2.0 with host Bill Sickens, Technology Architect. And this is User-Friendly 2.0. Welcome to this week's show. Got a great show for you this week. We're going to be talking about a couple of different things. Steve has a great interview for us. The other thing that we have towards the end of the show is we're going to be talking video games and old video games and expensive video games. Over $800,000. Would you pay that for a video game cartridge? Somebody would. In fact, there's a number of them out there that are worth quite a bit of money. So definitely worth checking out. Send us your questions and your comments and anything else. 503-766-6264. We love to have them. One user friendly on Facebook and Twitter. That's how we get our content. And with no further ado, here's the news. Rohail Co. Insurance is a locally owned insurance broker that is dedicated to protecting your automobiles, home, or business. Call 503-636-0495 to learn more. So what is in the news today? Nevada announces real-time carbon monitoring. So this is something that's coming out of actually the city of Reno. Uh, which will be the first local government to monitor carbon emissions in real time. And what's ah. going on here is there's a company called Ledger 8760. And this is a company that is located in the Reno, Nevada area. This is a pilot program. It's going to track government fleets, buildings, and assets to help them reduce their carbon footprint and save on energy costs. So this is something that's kind of interesting to think about is that they're going to actually be able to know exactly what's going on with that. And with Reno being the first city to launch this kind of technology, puts them on the map a little bit, which is kind of nice. Well, it's a good location for this to be done because Reno is in a valley. Right. And they get um, these inversion layers, which will hold um, the pollution down. Right. Unless unless a breeze comes in. So any kind of town uh, that has that kind of setup or that kind of problem probably could benefit from this. Yeah, I could definitely see see where that would go. Company CEO Adam Kramer has talked about this a little bit, and he says that in the county we see some vehicles where people keep their cars running for hours on end even though they're not moving the vehicle. This is a real-time example of how the technology can be used to lower energy use. <clears throat> Cost for this program, the city and county, $6,000 each per month, and the state will be about 1500 per month. So in the grand scheme of things, that's not even that expensive. Wow. Tesla and why right to repair matters. So right to repair, this is something we've talked about on the show before. Mm -hmm. This is the idea that if a manufacturer makes something, right to repair basically is a law or legislation where they want to say, well, anybody that has the technical skill should be allowed to repair that device. So in other words, if you buy an iPhone and the screen breaks, and right now you can only take it to an Apple verified certified dealer, to have that done, you can't order the parts, you can't get the parts, that would be a violation of this idea of right to repair. If you know how to do it or a third-party repair company wants to do it, they have to be able, or they have to be allowed at least to be able to order whatever repair parts, manuals, that kind of thing is uh, is required. Now, where this is really kind of coming into the news this week is Tesla. And yep. same type of thing, only a Tesla or Tesla-authorized place can work on your car. This is actually to the extent that if you get in and start trying to change something on the computer, it can brick it, um, and it will tell them that you've been messing with it over the air. So they quoted $16,000 for a $700 fix. 
Yeah. Wow. That can only be done by a first party repair shop, you know, that's uh, certified to do Tesla. So this is the same type of thing where this kind of comes in and why people are wanting this. The other thing it does too is it will keep e-waste a lot more out of the landfills and things because it'll be easier to get them repaired. Sir Richard Branson rockets to space. Yes. Virgin Galactic. Uh, he made it out to the edge of space. <laughs> I'm not sure I'd still want to do this, but hey, you know. Oh, I, I, I absolutely want to do this. I'm not paying that much money yeah. for it, but yeah. I want to do it. Yeah. I thought the vehicle was kind of cool. Yeah. It was like they, they, they put two airplanes together, and um, and then below, in, in between them, they have the, the actual ship that goes yeah. up. And I just thought it looked neat. <laughs> yeah. Yep, absolutely. Now, he paid more, but if you want to do it, you can do it for a quarter million dollars. Yeah, that's a bit too much right now for your average person. Yeah, I don't have that kind of disposable cash. No, no. not yet. And, uh, you know, he did say the trip was the experience of a lifetime. I can definitely understand that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, the idea of being able to do that is kind of cool. I, I think I'm going to wait until I can be beamed up, though. Uh, well, <laughs> hopefully they'll get that technology sometime you know, soon. Dr. McCoy would disagree with you. Yeah, this is true. This is true. And... uh you know, this has happened across the board. The retired uh, CEO of Bezos of Amazon is also doing something similar like this. And uh, again, the idea of wanting to go to space. Mm -hmm. BMW and Volkswagen find $1 billion for colluding on diesel emissions tech. Yeah, so this is something that, and I've said this before, this has got to be one of the stupidest things <laughs> that I have ever heard of a big company like yeah. this doing. Like, they're not going to get caught, right? No, no, never. The, the only thing that kind of surprised me is it took as long as it did for them to get caught. I, and I think it's kind of sad because you look at $1 billion, okay, wow, you could have put that into uh, new technology, uh, paying your employees better. Just all kinds of things that would have been a lot more useful than having to pay a fine. Yeah, yeah. Now, now well, spending, one, go ahead. spending years, spending years modifying cars so that they still run dirty but test clean. Yeah, That's just right. the stupidest thing I can think of. So, so now <laughs> this fine actually comes from still this whole kind of a scandal thing. But the other side of the fence is that they these companies had technology to actually make diesel clean but through an antitrust situation they wouldn't let anybody use it oh <laughs> <sighs> okay so. it, this just yeah okay we, we need to be more of like a star trek society yeah yeah uh, <laughs> and this was colluded between daimler bmw volkswagen audi and porsche and uh Daimler didn't get fined because they reported it. But anyway, so yeah, same thing. You know, again, let's just do things fairly. It's like you're going to get caught, guys. Just screw around. You're going to get caught, and it's going to cost money and reputation. Oh, they're all going to be pissed at Daimler. Okay. <laughs> Power plant decides mining Bitcoin is more profitable than selling electricity. This is a hydroelectric uh, plant built in 1897. Yep. So it's been running for a long time. It's in New York. And I guess, you know, it's just the modern age and what's new and all the rest of that. But they figured out it's actually they can make more money with Bitcoin than selling the electricity to the national grid. Now, what they're doing here is Bitcoin mining is very energy intensive. 
Mm -hmm. a lot of computer equipment, that type of thing, and it's creating a carbon footprint. Uh, In some cases, it uses more power than the entire power grid of some countries is capable of producing. So needless to say, this has been causing problems in a lot of places. Yep. And so they're trying to get it where it has a little bit of a greener reputation. This is one way to do it. The entire output of this hydroelectric plant is being redirected now to Bitcoin mining. (laughs) And... uh, I'm sorry, this is such a silly article. Yeah. It really is. (laughs) But uh, but anyway, so there you are. So, you know, the whole thing with Bitcoin, virtual currency, but it definitely uses very real power to not only mine it, but for the blockchain to record the transactions, all that stuff's online, all that stuff requires servers, and therefore all of that stuff uses electricity. Yeah. Microsoft unveils Windows 365. Now you both like subscription-based software, right? Um, I don't no. have a I don't have a sarcasm sign big enough for that. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, and I keep looking at that 365, and the first thing that comes to mind is Whole Foods. They have a, a, a in-store brand line called 365. Yeah, you might have to talk to Amazon about that, but there is no mm. connection there. Yeah, the branding of this actually goes to Office 365. Office 365 is their product. That is Word and Excel and all of those programs that you pay an annual fee to use. So you essentially rent the license or have a limited subscription. Well, we now have that for the Windows operating system. I think that's dumb. I'm going to switch to something else. So one of the differences is here, and this is one of the questions that does come in on this. No, Windows on your computer will not expire. That's not where this is going. This is a virtualized version of Windows that you can get to from anywhere. The idea being that if you have an Android phone or a Mac OS and want to use Windows, you can. So it doesn't matter what the operating system is on the base computer. You can get out there. It's in the virtual environment, so all the backups and that type of thing are taken care of. And it is given to you or, or leased to you, I guess would be the word for it, on a subscription-based basis. All right, we got a great show coming up for you this week. Got an interview. I'm not going to tell you about it, but you'll find it in the next section. This is User-Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. Joining me now, Steve Mailer. Well, thanks as always, Bill, Jeremy, and Gretchen. I am on location at the National Auto Museum in downtown Reno as part of Art Town 2021, and I'm sitting here with Oliver X. What a cool last name. Thank you so much for joining me here on User-Friendly today. Thank you. Love being here. Tell me a little bit about... Art Town, because even though I've lived here for, I'm embarrassed to say, a long time, I've never really taken the opportunity to experience Art Town. What is Art Town? Art Town is a festival happening in the summer, 31 continuous days in July. Uh, Art, music, and culture for 31 continuous days, the only 31-day continuous arts festival in the Western U.S. It sounds exhausting. (laughs) <laughs> it is, it is. It's definitely a, a, a marathon at sprint speed. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So how did you get involved with Art Town? I was originally a board member, and then um, I, uh, a position opened on staff, Okay. and I had uh, core knowledge of mission and message and function, so they wanted to make a seamless transition. 
to that staff position, which was the marketing director position, which I've been at since 2019. 2019. Mm -hmm. So does it cost anything to experience Art Town? 75% of Art Town is free and open to the public um, for families and uh, individuals of all ages. But there are gated um, events. Coming out of the pandemic, we had a $500,000 bill for our wow. uh, stage lighting and sound, uh, security, and bathrooms, and fencing. Okay. And that's, that gives you an idea of what continuous security and, uh, and all the amenities of a festival production done at the highest level can cost. So we had to gate, technically ticket, uh, 31 uh, shows this year. So what are some of the, give me an example of some of the shows that you might see here. Like. Oh, yes, yes. I, I, I'm glad. Kronos Quartet is coming up July 15th. Okay. I'm not sure when this will air, but um, July 15th is the world's greatest string ensemble, the Kronos Quartet, um, known as some of the best musicians in the world. Indeed. Uh, 45 years strong out of the Bay Area. And they're coming up July 15th at Rancho. Uh, Kebmo, five-time Grammy winner, 14-time Americana Icon Award winner. Uh, he's playing with his full band and the Brother Brothers as an opening band out of Chicago who are exceptional. Uh, that show is almost sold out. And then Oscar winner Buffy St. Marie, who has 100, one top 100 hits wow. in her discography. She's playing to our, uh, on our closing night. So this actually kind of um, makes me realize how little I know about Art Town, because I always figured that Art Town was something where you went to see art exhibits, like paintings or sculptures, things like that, that were, I guess, more like a classic art form. Yes. But your live performance, you're all kinds of art. We are. 90% um, of Art Town is of, for, and by the public and organizations themselves. So what that means is, of our 31 days, there's you know, so many more in a normal non-COVID year, there's 524 events. Sure. Um, this year we'll have about 400 of those. We're, we're doing 50. Okay. Uh, so, so it's basically, we do about 10% of the actual programming. Everything else is done by, um, organizations, large and small who avail our, themselves of our umbrella as a marketing agency. So do they, do they come in? Like, would a local artist be able to bring their works and say, Hey, I'd like to be a part of our, yeah. okay. So they, yeah. so that's also an aspect yeah, of what you have. Yeah. They're tasked to pick a date, pick a venue and do a show. Very good. I learned about you from a, uh, a common friend between us, uh, Stuart Campbell, who yes. is, is uh, a filmmaker and a videographer that I've um, had the pleasure of knowing. In fact, he's been a guest on the show here at user friendly. Mm -hmm. with his, his television company. What is he doing with you as part of this week or a part of this 31 days? Yeah, he's been our video you know, guru, guru and <laughs> yeah. live streaming service. But my sure. relationship with him started over a decade ago okay. uh, with, with Loaded TV before there were um, fast connections. Okay. It, it was, uh, I've, we've literally gone from the Flintstones to the Jetsons <laughs> in real time. And there are benefits to that. And before the technology had caught up to its, his vision, sure. it was literally stop and go. Yeah. You know, uh, I think we were on dial up, you know, <laughs> I, I, that seems embarrassing to so, say so, right now. So in order to, to <laughs> dial into our town, you, you had to go through the sound of a modem. Connecting to, okay. Well, something like something that, but like it, that, the sure. frames per second were like, like our, yeah, it, it was insane. So it was stop action animation in wow. real time. But, um, Stuart and his company have come so far 
uh, as technology has changed, he was always ready with, you know, with his hard news TV background in production mm-hmm. uh, with local people here and as well as with Jim's TV. Sure. Uh, so he is a pro. And when we wanted to go from the Flintstones to the Jetsons at Art Town and go ahead and, and become more tech fluent, he was really an option that I sought out to enhance Art Town's messaging. So um, what are some, like, does he, are they covering, are you basically streaming all the events that are happening here or do you have to select like a handful of them? Yeah, all the events, like for instance, music needs, um, there's several elements of licensing and clearances that are available absolutely, and and required. So we don't get to stream everything musical because there are streaming rights that that agents and managers, they seek, they seek these licensing fees. Right. And it's crazy expensive. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> it is. Yeah. So, but, but the ones that are homegrown that we want to support, they really need the exposure uh-huh. of, of mini media and streaming real-time media. We, we do that. Okay. We do that as often as we can. So um, I know Art Town is certainly designed for folks who are local to Reno and the, the Sparks mm-hmm. area. So the, the streaming element is so that people who can't come here can still enjoy Art Town. Yeah, and, and we've, we've been happy with our numbers. Um, there is an agency that just launched um, earlier in the year called the Black News Channel. Okay. And we're getting the same amount of live views as the Black News Channel based out of Atlanta with world-famous anchors. That's awesome. We're doing that on the DIY at the highest level right here from the Auto Museum, uh, which fabulous. represents the, the, the past and the present in one moment. And I think that's what this technology represents. What is the website if someone wants to experience Art Town? Uh, it's www.arttown.org. That's A-R-T-O-W-N dot O-R-G. Now, that's a name we made up. Art Town does not exist in nature. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, Oliver X, I certainly appreciate you being here with us on User Friendly. It was fun learning about you. And uh, hey, thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Bill, Jeremy, and Gretchen, guys, take it away. Steve, thank you. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. This is the part of the show where you ask questions and we endeavor to give you some answers. How do you send us your questions? You know, you ask that every week and it's a good question. 503-766-6264. That's our phone number, 24-7. Give us a call. One User-Friendly on Facebook or Twitter or UserFriendlyNation.com is our website. What questions do we have this week? Can you install Chrome desktop extensions on mobile? Listener question that came in. So what this is specifically referring to is if you have the Chrome browser on your PC or Mac, there's a way to install extensions. These are things like ad blockers and various other things. So the Chrome browser on mobile, it would seem like that would do the same thing, but it doesn't. No, you cannot support install Chrome extensions on the Chrome browser on mobile. It simply doesn't support it. However, there is a workaround. If you're wanting to do something like an ad blocker or something of that nature, there's a number of other browsers that run on Android. One of them, Mm. and one that I've used a little bit, is called Kiwi, K-I-W-I. And in that, you have a button that will allow you to actually use the Chrome extensions natively. They plug in, and it actually works pretty well. Firefox is another browser that will run on mobile. 
And there's a number of others out there, but there are ways to work around this, and that is the way to do it. Just make sure if you look at an alternate browser, you're looking at one that has good ratings, and check all of that out because you don't want to accidentally get something on there that might have another goal, let's just say. <laughs> yeah. Is it true? Legend of Zelda sold for $870,000. Yeah, that's a lot of money for a Nintendo game. Yeah, uh-huh. it is. I, I, and oh, I like boy. that game, but it's still a lot of money for a Nintendo game. We're actually going to talk about this in the next section in some more detail on what's going on and, and some different things like that. But yes, just the short answer to this, it is true. This just happened. Legend of Zelda, the first one for the original 8-bit Nintendo, sold for $870,000. Hmm. Are electric vehicles more prone to fire than gas? So I did a little poking around on this because this has been in the headlines lately that they've been having some trouble with this. The short answer to this is from all of the information I can find is I don't think it is. Uh, You can have fires in a gasoline-based vehicle, and you can have fires in a battery-based vehicles, one being more prone to it than the other. The difference here actually being, though, is the way that the firefighters have to fight a fire on an electric vehicle. That is completely different. Yeah, I saw an article about uh, how the firefighters are trying to develop new techniques to deal with um, the, the specifically the batteries. Right, right. So some of the things, too, is you have a gas tank and a car that uses gas, and you can have a fire with that. Generally speaking, they don't explode either. That can happen, but it's more Hollywood that that happens. Much more likely it's going to burn. But in a battery car, when you have the batteries catch fire, for one thing, they're usually distributed throughout the car. They're not just in one spot. And they warm up, and they have chemicals in them that will keep them going for a lot longer. So part of the problem here is the firefighters being able to get to the batteries that are on fire, for one thing, and then having the technique to be able to put that fire out. So it is just, uh, it's a, just a different way of doing it. It's a new problem that this new technology is bringing. How do you find acting work while working at home? A couple of different ways. There is a, a website called Backstage that I know I use, and I think you guys use it too, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. so this is a, this is one of the main ones, and there's actually a couple more out there that are for this type of a thing, but you've got to think about your equipment. You've got to, because you're going to be recording at home if you do this type of thing. There's a lot of opportunities out there. You need to think about your sizzle reel and have all of that kind of stuff set up and have a website or something where that can be accessed. There is a subscription cost for using these services. Backstages, for example, is about 150 a year. You can get 50 bucks off of that on some of their promotions. So you'll mm-hmm. need a budget for it. And then you have to go in and set up a profile and do all of that kind of stuff. But it is worth doing. It took me about a day to put everything together. And I've gotten several commercials and some other things out of it. So it's definitely worth the time to do. But it's almost like a form of freelancing but for acting. Is it true that Chrome and Edge are the same browser? Yes, and a lot of others are too. Now, strictly speaking, (laughs) Chrome and Edge are not the same browser in the sense that they look and feel very different, but they both run on Chromium, which is the engine that actually makes the thing work. So (laughs) while it may look different, the actual back end, what it's doing and the guts of it are the same. And there's a number of other browsers out here that use the same technology for that too. So you might see this type of a thing across the board where they're sharing technology. This is user-friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Have you seen him? He's from the future. He's got a really big 
Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. As promised in the Q&A and what's talked about this week on Tech Wednesday, video games. Mm, video games. So would $870,000 be too much for a Nintendo cartridge? Yes. Uh-huh. Really? Even well, do you, do you have a working, you know, old Nintendo to play it on? Well, this one's sealed in a box, unopened. Well, then it's really not worth it because you can't play it, can you? I don't think that's the goal. I don't understand the idea of having a sealed game that may or may not actually be in the packaging that you paid that much money for that you can't do anything with. Well, I think about, I'd rather I'd rather have a nice house to live in. Yeah, <laughs> yeah really. there is that. How about $620,000 for a uh, Super Mario Brothers? <sighs> I I still have problems with that. <laughs> yeah, I'd still like to have a house to <laughs> a live little in. Bit, a little bit less. What's happening here is these old video game cartridges are becoming very collectible. Yeah, and that I understand. You have some things going on here where it's like, you know, baseball cards or Pokemon cards or comic books. It's getting into that kind of thing. And what is first generation video games is if you have them in certain situations and there's ones that are more rare than others, depending on production, if they're still in the mm-hmm. box and all that kind of thing, that has made some of these go quite valuable. And back down here on Earth where we have stuff where we can afford things, there's actually a lot of other games that you wouldn't think of so much that are fetching a lot of money. And most of this seems to be related to first-generation, second-generation video games. So a lot of this goes back to Atari, the original Nintendo. Yeah. Uh, the very first video game system ever made that took cartridges was the uh, Fairchild Channel F. Those, mm-hmm. are, those are quite collectible now, if you can find them. I used to have one. I don't know what happened to mine. And you probably sold it. Yeah, well, I had a I had a ColecoVision, and I loved that yeah, thing. I, I had, no I had something called that. a MicroVision, and Micro, it had cartridges. Yeah, ColecoVision, Intellivision. Uh, these were all things from that generation, that era, early 80s, late 70s. And some of the games that are out there are really starting to fetch a lot of money. PlayStation 1, Elemental Gearbolt, Assassin's Case, and the case is kind of cool. It looks like a gun. Uh, it's hmm. going from $1,400 to $1,750. This wow. came out in 1997, so not even really that old, you know? No. And then so, I've, I wonder what my little blip would be. Well, it was the, a handheld game. Yeah, now the handheld uh, games are different. They're, they're not a cartridge-based system, and that seems to have an entirely different collector's market. Ah, okay. So, you know, it just, and it depends on what it is. The other thing of it is, is this was a big deal from the era. I hope you all kept your boxes, because nope. it doubles the price of the cartridges. My blip is in the original box with yeah. the styrofoam. I've got no, I've got no packaging from any of my video games. Yeah. So, in fact, the ba- boxes in some cases sell for more than the games because <laughs> a lot of people didn't keep their boxes, and the boxes can be more rare. Wow. Rarest <laughs> educational video game in assistance is one called Ellie's Ladder. It was a game on the Atari that had to do with mathematics, addition, subtraction, that kind of a thing. Uh, these cartridges <laughs> are out there with the box. It's about seventeen hundred. With wow. about 1500 Atari 2600 game called Karate. This is one that I had at one time. $4,000 if you have the box. Wow. Holy moly. So, now a game we all remember in the arcade, Gauntlet. Yes. So there was an Atari 2600 version of this. I sort of remember it. I preferred the, uh, the let's just say the arcade game was a lot better. Now, they did have a version yes. of this on the Intellivision and the Atari 5200 that talked and worked like the arcade game. Uh, I think it works like that on the Super Nintendo, because I have it. Yeah, but the 2600 game was much, much more basic, but uh, definitely was out there. It's going for between $3,000 and $5,000, depending on condition. 
Wow. You know, so you get through some of this kind of stuff. Now, some of the a little bit more Nintendo era ones that we may have seen. There's a couple of kind of really cool ones out there. One of them is a cartridge that was used for competition. Mm-hmm. So it's a gold cartridge like your Legends of Zelda. That's what it looks like. There's a series of four switches on it to be able to switch between the games. And uh, this was uh, this was something that was used World Championships. I believe the year they did that was 1990. And it was a contest that was actually held was quite uh, quite interesting. Uh, these go for about fifteen to twenty thousand dollars, depending on the condition. Wow! So you know, looking at some of these different things is absolutely amazing. And I think it's it's interesting to consider because we're getting into an era now where we don't have the cartridges anymore. In fact, we've gone to CDs and DVDs and Blu-ray a long time ago, and now yeah. the direction of a lot of the new systems is direct download. You don't even have media. Yeah. Exactly. So it's kind of uh, kind of interesting to see where that's headed, and I think a lot of this, and you know, this is a time now that it's passed to really, really know this stuff. One of the other things that uh, can be worth a lot of money too is the hardware, because there's a lot of things that are out there that are rare, prototype that type of a thing. One very interesting system was a Nintendo PlayStation. Now think about that for a minute. Yeah, no, I I, I remember you talking about this one before, and and I think that would be. Kind of neat. <laughs> yep. They they tried it and it actually does work. Uh, it has a it was a PlayStation One and I think a Super Nintendo. So mm-hmm. it had a slot for the Nintendo cartridge and it had a CD drive for the PlayStation game. And uh, the unit worked well before the companies decided to part company and do their own thing, Sony and Nintendo. Yeah, I remember the advertisements. That so, that just rings a bell to me. Yeah. yeah. These type of things. Another uh, interesting one was a floppy disk drive for the early Nintendo. Hmm. Oh, now that would be kind of weird. Again, a prototype of this was found at a garage sale in Seattle. Hmm. And uh, they were able to get it set up and get it so that it would turn on uh, because they didn't have any of the lab software for it. They couldn't get it to boot up and do anything. Now, a device like this does exist for the Famicom, the Super Famicom, which is the Japanese version of the Nintendo. And they did have floppy drive storage. So they were working on it for the U.S. version, never got it to production. But there's some equipment like that that's out there. I know on the Atari era, there's a lot of things that are floating around now, if you can get one, that are lab prototypes of games that were never released. And that type of a thing. And those are kind of fun if you can come up with them, too. Do you think they went um, from uh, to the cartridge stuff? Because it was sturdier than using a floppy and, you know, kids sometimes can be rough with things and it's easier just to stuff a cartridge into a machine as opposed to a floppy. Well, I think it's the other way around. I don't think we had floppies when they first started designing the cartridges. Oh, okay. So basically what you're doing, the way that a cartridge works, by the way, is there's a plug on your console, your Atari, Nintendo, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And when you put the cartridge in, it actually attaches additional computer hardware so it's like a dongle? It's like it's kind of like that idea. And that hardware contains the software that runs the program, the game or whatever it is, is, is in that. So it extends it to be able to do that. And in some cases, especially when they started getting more advanced, they were putting processors and other things in the cartridge. So the cartridge itself actually had the capability of extending the computing capability of the console it was running on in some cases. Oh. Yeah. So you had a device that was an adapter, as a, for example, from the Atari 5200 to play 2600 games on it. And the adapter was actually an Atari 2600, repackaged and plugged into the slot on the 5200 and just <laughs> sent the video information and took the input from the controllers. 
Wow. So, you know, there's all kinds of things. That's a piece of hardware, by the way, if you can find one that's worth about $100. So, you know, it's all out there, and it's worth checking what you've got in your garage and worth seeing what you've got out there because it might be worth some money, just like those old baseball cards or comic books. Mm -hmm. This is User-Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. Great episode this week. Got to talk a little bit about Star Wars. So let's actually talk a little bit about Marvel. Now, I know (laughs) both of you have been watching the Loki series. Now, I Mm -hmm. have not. I have heard some people love it. Some people hate it. Some people like some of the episodes and don't like others. Right. Um, Yeah. So what's your, you know, I know we talked about this a little bit in the past. And I, I think... If I remember correctly, you didn't like the first one, but the others hadn't dropped yet or something. So yeah, what, yeah. What, tell, tell us about what you think now. All right. Well, basically, yeah, we didn't care for like the first episode and we were really questioning whether we were going to continue to watch it. And then we you thought, you know what, let's give things a chance. And so we kept watching and um, it's improved. Oh, it's absolutely. gotten better with each episode. It's gotten better. OK. So that's good. And so. Know. Yeah, and this this week there was the the uh, season finale, so it's a six episode season, which okay. I'm not exactly thrilled about. But you know, what are you gonna do? So, so <laughs> why, why don't you like a six episode season? Because it's already done. He'd like six, more. It's, it's oh, only like six episodes. Ep- okay, I'm sorry. I wasn't yeah, following. it's only yeah. six okay. episodes. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like <laughs> they, they went like it's a six episode season. Like, well, okay. And and, and if you like some of the other uh, versions of Loki, you you should watch it just to see okay. them. Yes. Okay. No, but they seem now, to be doing that with a lot of stuff. Winter Soldier was a short run like that too. Yeah, but it was more than six. <laughs> So. Anyways, <laughs> we also yesterday um, first time got to go to the theater and actually watch a movie on the big screen. Oh, that must have been that, weird. It was weird, well, but it, it was really It nice. was weird enough that there were only six of us in the theater. Oh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> of course, now we did go in the early afternoon. So, mm-hmm. you know, that was yeah. kind of nice. And cool. we went and saw Black Widow. So that's another okay. Marvel series. Mm-hmm. All right. So we don't and, want to give away the movie, but tell us kind of a, a little bit of a review on it. Um, it's It happens between... um. When when uh, Captain America and everybody like so it's Captain America and the Civil War, Civil War okay. and and the Avengers it happens between that, um, but you know everything got delayed for COVID so it was supposed to be then it, it just showed up uh, and it explains why she looks so different between Winter Soldier or uh, uh, Civil War and and Avengers Endgame yeah remember when she showed up with the blonde hair right right okay well it explains that okay and um. Actually, it was actually a really good, fun film. Yeah. Uh, it, it had some action that was really great. And then it had some intrigue that was really great and some interesting background stuff. Now, I don't know if it holds true to what people see in the comic books. But as far as a regular person like myself who just walks into the film, it was interesting and I enjoyed it. Yes, mm, that's cool. That's, that's great. So, all right, we'll have to check it out. Next week is the Game Developers Conference virtual event that we're going to be covering. So on next week's show, we'll be talking a little bit about that and see what's up with that. And until next week, this is User-Friendly 2.0, keeping you safe on the cutting edge. User-Friendly 2.0, copyright 2014 to 2021, User-Friendly Media Group, Inc.
The views and opinions expressed on this show are those of the host and not necessarily user-friendly Media Group, Inc. or the station. Music licensing by BMI. Hosting provided by WeAreTechnology.com. Podcast available at UserFriendlyNation.com, TheAnswerPortland.com, or anywhere you listen to podcasts.